Hey, we got a, an amazing guest today, um, which, uh, uh, Richard, I don't know if you know this, but um, in 1982, um, you were on a show uh, called Square Pegs with Devo. And uh, my wife was on that same show. So it's kind of interesting. We'll show a little a, a bit of that. And I'm sure she'll kill me if I do that. But the gentleman we have today, guys, um, who here loves 80s music, guys? If you love music, come yeah. on. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves music. So this gentleman came from England. I don't know, you know, he probably followed the Beatles over or whatever, but uh, uh, happens to be one of his favorite groups. But um, he went to every radio station in L.A. And they all said, you know, he said he'd work for free. He, you know, he was just wanted to get into the business. And he finally went to this last radio station, and I'm sure he'll tell us which one it is. And they, the lady said, with a voice like that and an accent, you'll never make it in this business. So he tucked his tail and ran to Pasadena to a beautiful little radio station. And I think within three to six months, they were pretty much the biggest radio station in L.A. So guys... Uh, Nice, big, warm welcome to Mr. Richard Blade. How you doing, Richard? Hey, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And man, it makes me, uh, makes me shiver when you give my biography like that. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, uh, what was the radio station that you went to that told you that you're never going to amount to 94.7 KMET. Hooyah! Hooyah! <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it was the program director of that. And she said to me, no, you will never work in this town with that accent. And it was so funny because three years later, K-Rock was number one. And KMET was, I think, like 32nd in oh, the market. Boy. KLOS had kicked their butt too. And they came to me and said, would I take over and do mornings for uh, KMET and leave K-Rock? <laughs> and I said... No, they offered me quite a lot of money and I wasn't making that much at K-Rock. It just didn't, it just didn't feel right. right. And sure enough, two months later, they changed format and became the wave. And oh. I think what they were trying to do was just put one in on K-Rock and get rid of the morning show at K-Rock just to say, you screwed us, we'll screw you before we die. And uh, they went off the air and it's a shame because KMET had a great legacy. They were great rock station in the 70s and had some amazing talent like Jim Ladd who's on Sirius XM right now and uh, I loved listening to him and that's one of the reasons I went there but they had no um, niceness about their approach you know they were like you never work in this town well guess what I ran into that program director in 1986 I was doing the grand opening of the Red Onion in Beverly Hills and it was they were you know buying time on K-Rock so I was there and she came in and she said, oh, you know, great to see you again. You're doing well. And I said, yeah, how, what are you doing now? Wondering, you know, she was working at program director in San Francisco or something like that. She said, oh, I'm a secretary down the street. I just got off work. <laughs> and I held back saying anything. I just said, well, good to see you again. But I felt like saying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, don't don't trip on my star that's on the Hall of Fame, okay? <laughs> Be careful when you're yeah. walking down there. But she was really talented back in the day. I don't know 
why they did so badly uh, against KLOS. I know why they did bad against us, because they wouldn't play any new wave music and they were behind the curve. But KLOS came from behind and just annihilated. They also KLOS. didn't have a morning voice that was smooth as good, no, brewed, well-brewed tea, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's crucial. Yeah, right? That's it. Yes. You've got to have <laughs> brewed tea. Yeah. Brewed tea yeah. 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 No, but you know what? It, it, that's normal. You get these people in management, and a lot of times they're the first ones to screw it up. You know, they don't know a good thing when it walks through the door. Uh, you and I have got friends that uh, have been very successful in this business, and they might have had the best talent in the world walk through their door and let them keep walking. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens all the time. Yeah, I, I remember when I was just a little kid, and uh, my friend John Bennett said to me, I, I got this band, the Beatles, I just got, got their music. And we listened to uh, She Loves You and we listened to the other side of it. And he said, what do you think? I said, they're good, but they're no shadows. Because Cliff Richard had a backing band called The Shadows. And I, I thought the Beatles would have maybe one or two songs, but they'd never last as long as Cliff Richard and The Shadows. So we all make mistakes. Well, you know what? I, I heard you on an interview, and I, I think I don't believe you because you told me your favorite band was the Beatles. And oh, I, they, I'm, I'm going to say probably Depeche Mode's your favorite band. My two favorite bands, Depeche Mode and the Beatles. Ah. I came to the Beatles a little later, you know, about a year and a half later, I think with uh, Penny Lane. My father oh, yeah. was walking around the house singing Penny Lane. He loved that. And I thought, well, if Dad likes them, that much, then they, <laughs> they must be good. And uh, Strawberry Fields, of course. And, and then I just fell in love with the Beatles. And uh, I can listen to the Beatles anytime. And I can listen to Depeche Mode anytime. You know, so it's, it, it, those are my two favorites, without a doubt. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting you said that, Richard, because my parents and I had the same interest in the same music. But nowadays, it's not really that way. I, the kids' music, I'm, hey, mm-hmm. it's past me. You know what I mean? I agree with you 100%. And one other band I love, it's actually from Southern California, and that's The Doors. I always love the music of The Doors. And quite often when I'm driving back from a gig late at night and I'm going through downtown LA, I'll put on LA Woman and think. And it just takes me right back. You know, I mean, 40 years later, I can't believe sometimes I'm in Los Angeles and, and doing gigs and working and stuff like that. And you see the high rises and the lights and you hear Jim Morrison's voice it's just like, wow, just takes you right back to being a kid. Um, Richard, you've been doing this for a little while. You're pretty new to this, but um, you're known for causing a lot of trouble. And when I say that is, uh, you remember when, uh, I think it was, was it Depeche Mode that you guys were opening up at the Beverly Center? Oh yeah, that was, that was a fun one. Uh, Howie Klein from Sire Records and I met in Burbank at uh, the Sire Records headquarters inside Warner Brothers in what we called the Ski Chalet, because it's got this pitched roof. And he said, I want to do something big with the Pesh. We put them in the Rose Bowl two years ago, but Violator's coming out, and we think it's going to be a huge album. We need to make a statement. And I said, okay, well, you know, you could try an in-store. And he said, you think so? And he said, it would have to be at least as big as Van Halen's at Tower Records, which attracted 5,000. I said, oh, I think it will be at least that big. And he said, okay, let me start working on that. So he got together with the warehouse at the Beverly Center for the launch of Violator. And we promoted it on K-Rock. And it wasn't 5,000 people that showed up. It was 17,000 people. 
and it was six city blocks, the line. And it got to the point where the police closed down that whole area of uh, the Beverly Center. And, and that's a freaky center. It's it, very... Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's wild. It's busy. You've got Melrose and yeah, everything yeah. going it's there. It's a very busy intersection. Yeah. yeah and then they, um, before anything started, they issued a tactical alert. Oh. And they sent in uh, officers on horseback and uh, two squads of police helicopters. And at 8 o'clock, the doors opened at night for the uh, in-store. And the people started filtering in. And the first 10, 15 minutes went really well. And then people began to realize that Depeche Mode were getting through maybe three or four people a minute at the most. With 17,000 people in line, that would be at least three days. And then they started pushing forward. And that's when uh, the chaos kind of started and the security inside shut the doors, the police put the sirens on and said everyone must disperse. And then the plastic shields came out and they oh looked boy. like a Roman legion walking down. But fortunately, you know, it was a K-Rock crowd. It was new wave. So the kids were like, hey, okay, we're fine. We're fine. We'll do what you say. So there was no fighting. No, nothing was broken. No window, not one window was smashed. Nothing. Uh, uh, two uh, girls were taken to hospital. One fainted and one fell over. But fortunately, neither were hurt. And Depeche came on. Uh, at the, on the radio station the next two days to apologize and say how sorry they were. And then they asked if I would help them produce a, um, an album to give away to the listeners. And so I said, sure. And I got to go in the studio with Depeche Mode and do one side of the album and Flood, their longtime producer, did the other. And it was called uh, Depeche Mode Live at the Warehouse. And then in, they liked oh, yeah. it so much it went national. It was great. Isn't that the one that uh, they gave away free? Which, yeah, initially yeah. they gave it away free on cassette, and then they issued it on CD. Right. Yeah. And they, they really wanted that to get to the fans that had shown up and didn't get to see a show or didn't get to meet Depeche Mode when the cops shut that Absol all down. Absolutely. They felt really, really bad about it. It wasn't like we're just doing a publicity stunt. They had no idea that Warners wanted to make such a statement. Depeche just wanted to sign albums and say hi to the kids and everything like that. But Do their it, thing. But there was just too many. <laughs> One of the crazy stories is the Led Zeppelin story. Um, and they were turned away at the UK oh. for, for Blondie, right? Right. Deborah yeah. Harry, right? Yeah, they went to, uh, Clem, I think it was Clem Burke who told me that. The uh, drummer of Blondie also drummed with the Ramones and recently with the Go-Go's actually yeah. when Gina Schott got hurt. Um, and he, he said to me, it was called drumming with the Go-Go's because I was the best looking guy in the band. But <laughs> he, he said uh, when they were playing and, and really taking off in the UK and they'd never had a hit, never even been in the top 100 in America, but they had a series of number ones in England and they were the hottest band around. And the guys from Led Zeppelin, Robert Plant and everyone tried to get into the show and were turned away. And afterwards, the, uh, the band Blondie found out about that and they were so pissed because they wanted to get photographs and autographs <laughs> with Led Zeppelin. But the bouncers didn't care. They were like, no, we're at capacity, can't come in. I didn't know this, Richard, but you've written seven books. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the one that just came out? Yeah. I, the well, I Unlocked started, Interview. Yeah, I, I started in 2017 with my um, autobiography, World in My Eyes, and... I was talking to Billy Idol and, I, and Billy had just written his as well called Dancing With Myself. And I said, Billy, 
you're an author now? And he goes, nah, not an author. Not an author until you write two books. So I thought... <laughs> I can see Billy saying that too. Yeah, I, I thought, I'll write another book. So uh, I had a couple of screenplays I'd written that hadn't been produced, so I thought I'd use those as the backbone for a novel. And so I wrote uh, SPQR and it got well received. And then after that, I went and alternated between novels and um, nonfiction in the form of interviews. I'd done so many interviews with bands. And the first one was called The Lockdown Interviews. It was done during the pandemic when instead of only getting 20 minutes with the band and you've got their manager standing behind the microphone going like this to his watch the whole time. <laughs> During the lockdown, they had nowhere to go. Like with Boy George, I had six hours we hung out and, and did an interview. So That's I did that That's a little long to hang out with Boy George. I know. <laughs> I got, I'm doing a gig with him next month as well. So I mean, he, he's one of the best interviews. He's so much fun. But oh, yeah. then uh, it went, it was so well received and people loved it so much that I did a sequel to it and called The Unlocked Interviews. And it was after the lockdown finished and the bands went back out on the road and that was the angle, talking to the groups about what it was like now to get back out there. So we had Roxy Music I was talking with about uh, going out on their 50th anniversary tour and Simon Le Bon about doing the Future Past tour because they had the new album. And then also during that tour found out they're going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So what a year for them. And uh, Blondie, as I mentioned, with Clem Burke and then with Chris Stein and Debbie Harry. So. That's the uh, latest one, the Unlocked Interviews. You know, I, I noticed you're a t-shirt guy like me where I'm always wearing some funky t-shirt, but I saw you in an interview a while back and one of my favorite bands of all times, these guys played at, at, at one of my music venues, The Reflex, mm -hmm. and you were wearing their shirt. They're, they're playing at yeah, OC I, Tavern. <laughs> they're what? I said they're, they're playing at OC Tavern on Friday. Yeah, oh, they're nice. great. Yeah, they, we're going. They, <laughs> yeah, cool. we, yeah. Re Reflex are a local band, and um, they are basically an 80s cover band, but they yeah. make it their own, and they're so good. And Greg, their front person, is fantastic. And uh, I got them uh, at one of the gigs I was doing once a year in Mexico called 80s in the Sands, which is now just called The Sands. And uh, I, I said to the uh, producer of that, Steve, I said, you should try him. So he's like, oh, he's from Detroit. He goes, well, you got these bands on the East Coast. I said, just try the Reflex. And uh, he tried them. And they've been back every single year since. And they're so, so good. If you get a chance, the Reflex, you will love them. You know, you know Richard, I just had um, Matt Mauser on from the Tijuana Dogs. And he was talking about the Reflex also, how, he, how much he loves their music. They're, you know, you guys got to go see those guys. They're a lot of fun, a lot of energy. They are. You know, it's, that's what 80s music was, mm -hmm. really. Yeah, the lead singer, Greg, it's like he's got springs in his shoes. And he bounces <laughs> on stage the whole time. It's great. 